Is Mookie Betts' move to Los Angeles inevitable? Could Chris Bryant also be on the move? And should we be paying more attention to the Twins' rotation when it's the hitters who have been getting all the attention? Like death and taxes, Dodgers get a Dodger. I have not had the three cold brews yet. Got ahead of me on uh, my my caffeine question, so glad glad to know that there's been uh, some caffeination in your life. I'm just glad I am not at the dentist. Fantasy in 15 on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball in 15 for Monday, February 3rd. I'm Al Melker, and I'm here with Derek Van Riper. And, you know, normally we'll just get right into the news, but I just think it's fair to take a minute or two to actually introduce what we're doing here. Brand new podcast, Fantasy Baseball in 15. We're covering what what you need to know from the news and also uh, spending some time on base, fantasy baseball strategy, fantasy baseball skills. Uh, and, and doing it, bring it to you five days a week. So uh, you know, DVR really uh, looking forward to uh, you know sort of a novel, novel approach here. Yeah, hopefully it's appointment listening every morning. We're going to be out there at 6 a.m. Eastern every single weekday, and it's just going to be part of the routine for any good fantasy baseball player to listen to the show. And you all being good fantasy baseball players, uh, we look forward to uh, bringing this to you uh, five days a week. And also just to note that... Uh, this uh, Monday here is also the launch of the Athletics Fantasy Baseball Draft Kit. So a lot of big stuff happening, and we'll certainly be referencing that on the show a lot in the coming days, uh, to be sure. But let's get right uh, to the big headlines here. Uh, just uh, in the last 24 hours or so, we've had a tweet from Peter Gammons where he says that he's hearing from multiple sources that a Mookie Betts to Dodgers deal is quote-unquote inevitable. Now, DVR, I don't really foresee that we're going to, you know, spend a lot of time on a daily basis here looking at, you know, deals that are are not completed, things that are speculation. But we are in a bit of a lull here in terms of player movement. So this is kind of a big deal. So where do you have bets ranked overall? And would this trade, if it happened, move the needle for you? Yeah, I've got a new set of rankings that'll be launched with the draft kit. And Mookie Betts is my sixth overall player. So only Yelich, Acuna, Trout, Cody Bellinger and Francisco Lindor are ranked ahead of him. And I don't think leaving Boston is the kind of thing that's going to cause bets to fall out of that position. I think going from one good lineup to another, uh, going into an environment that's been more hitter friendly in recent years, Dodger Stadium being a more favorable park to high drives, well struck balls in recent years bodes well for keeping Mookie Betts' power uh, at a pretty nice level. This is a guy that puts a ton of balls in play, has a great eye at the plate. His career numbers on the road are excellent. I don't really look at him as a guy that's going to take a big step back with the move if this actually happens. And what I'm really curious to see is what type of return the Red Sox get back from the Dodgers since it's a talent rich organization with a little bit of a crowd in the outfield so i would assume you know a major league ready outfielder goes back to boston with a prospect or two in that deal as well yeah and obviously that you know will make a big difference in terms of what the fallout is on the boston side of things you know are there players currently on the roster you know who maybe get a boost but you know if for example as has been rumored and i want to you know be really clear about this that again this is all speculation but if it's alex verdugo going to Boston, which, you know, actually would make a lot of sense for both teams, I think. I would think that would have to be a huge boost for him. Uh, just a, a whole lot of playing time that would get unblocked. Yeah, I think there's a chance where 
in Boston. Maybe Alex Verdugo is an everyday player who doesn't fall into a platoon, but I think as long as he stays with the Dodgers, you're going to have you know a Kike Hernandez or a Chris Taylor, somebody off the bench working in tandem with him. So he's a big side platoon player in L.A. Maybe Boston would handle him the same way, but there's at least a chance that he'd get a chance to face some lefties along the way. All right. Well, I got one more question for you on bets uh, before we move on here. But I, I just got to ask because it's something I struggled a lot with in my own rankings, which, by the way, are also part of the draft kit uh, being uh, unleashed on Monday. Uh, how did you decide who to rank first, Bellinger or Betts? Now, you said you went Bellinger. Uh, was was it close for you? Was there a tiebreaker? Yeah, it is pretty close. I do think the flexibility of being able to play Cody Bellinger at first base or in the outfields one small mark in his favor. But I think when you look at the 2017 and 2019 power numbers from Cody Bellinger, He's not just the product of the more lively baseball that we saw uh, a year ago. Uh, he does run a little bit. I think as a, a run producer, you get better balance in the runs and RBI category. But we're talking about two players where I don't want to live off the difference between them. I mean, they're both excellent. If uh, you had the fourth pick in your draft and you took bets instead of Bellinger, I, I wouldn't blame you for it. Yeah, well, and that's that's how I, ha- I had Bellinger uh, ahead of bets initially. I flipped them. Uh, largely on the basis of a piece that I recently read by Jeff Zimmerman of Rotographs, where he outlined uh, some research that shows the really the um, impact that playing through an injury uh, often has on a player. And uh, you know, Bellinger did play through an injury last year, and also the the numbers that he put up early in the season were a lot better than the ones that he put up uh, later on after he was playing through an injury. So that for me was a tiebreaker, but it literally is a tiebreaker really could go either way uh, on that one. So uh, the other big trade rumoring that's going on, since we don't have a whole lot of uh, trade or free agent, big news for you um, comes from the athletics own Jim Bowden, who is uh, reporting that now that Chris uh, Bryant has lost his service time grievance against the Cubs that uh, things could be moving quickly there on a trade to send Bryant out of Chicago. Now, the one that I'm seeing pop up in a few different places is the the rumoring that maybe there's a swap with him and Nolan Arenado in Colorado. Obviously, that would be a huge deal. And obviously, there would almost certainly be um, other players involved with that. But Bowden names nine different potential landing spots. So I don't want to get too fixated on the Colorado thing. Um, but more generally about Bryant and, and putting the issue of destination aside for him, his production hasn't dropped off as much as you might think, given that he's really for three years now hit with significantly less power than he did in the very early years of his career. Pretty Pretty mediocre average exit velocity on flies and liners, uh, right around 92 miles an hour for each of the last three seasons. Are you concerned that wherever he winds up, that maybe uh, his power numbers are going to line up more with that exit velocity? Yeah, it's definitely a lingering concern. And Chris Bryant hasn't been quite the same player since suffering that shoulder injury and even though the counting stats were good last year, I think you could look at him and say he's maybe not elite anymore, even if he's still very good. It seems really odd that the Cubs don't want to spend money on Chris Bryant, but they would take on a big contract extension that Nolan Arenado just signed with the Rockies. So I don't know if I could see the the mechanics of that deal coming together. But nevertheless, if a team trades for Chris Bryant, it's probably a good team. So he's going to go from one good lineup to another. So I don't really see much of a, a team context value drop. You know, we know at Wrigley, the wind blows in more often than it blows out. It makes it more of a pitcher-friendly environment. So what he might be losing in skills, Chris Bryant potentially could gain 
with an improved park factors. There could be a little more of a power bump caused by that. Uh, but the underlying numbers are, are definitely concerning. You see a lot more blue ink on Chris Bryant's StatCast page than you'd expect for a guy that has an MVP award under his belt and came into the league with a ton of raw power. All right. Well, you know, you sort of hinted there that maybe some of these rumored destinations could be uh, a good change of scenery for Chris Bryant, other than Colorado, because that's the obvious one. Uh, is there any place in particular, good or bad? Because I'm looking at the list and I'm seeing there's some that maybe don't bode so well for Chris Bryant. But are there any in particular, either on the good or bad side, uh, that you think would be a difference maker for him? You know, one potentially bad fit is St. Louis because it's one of the more pitcher-friendly environments in all of baseball. So I think if, if Chris Bryant uh, ended up in St. Louis, that'd probably be one place where his value actually would go down. A lot of these rumored destinations uh, you know, Washington, Philadelphia, Colorado, the Dodgers are in the mix there too. Atlanta, those are at least closer to neutral or hitter friendly environments. In the case of Philly, even a very hitter friendly environment. Uh, if he changes leagues and goes into the AL, he's going to see a lot of pitchers he's not as familiar with. He's going to play in a lot of ballparks where he's just not as comfortable. Uh, so you could see maybe a slight downgrade with that move to Cleveland. Uh, but again, he'd still be in a good lineup, especially at the top of the order where there's a lot of you know, potential to drive in runs and potential to score a lot of runs as well. Yeah, and one of the uh, one of those destinations is Texas. We don't know how to uh, exactly judge that uh, park factor because uh, that park hasn't opened yet. I got an interesting question from somebody on Twitter who asked me how I'm planning on dealing with that, and I said, you know, given just the the heat, uh, and I understand that there's there's going to be a, a roof on this one, but. Uh, I think that we could still see some some lower air density, some balls that really uh, you know could could move off the bat. Um, so obviously we have to wait and see how it plays. But I'm going to assume that if it's a more pitcher friendly park than the old one, it's probably not going to be by that much. Yeah, I mean, I think the most extreme might be something like we saw at Chase Field with the installation of the humidor. Right, yep. like that used to be one of the most hitter friendly parks in the league. Now it's closer to a neutral park. I think that's about as extreme as that shift can be, and it probably won't be quite that extreme in Texas. Yeah, no, that's. Uh, I think that's just right on uh, as far as that comparison goes. And then a piece of news that's certainly gotten buried under uh, these uh, speculations about Bryant and Betts, uh, but I, I think it's worth discussing. Uh, on Saturday, the Twins agreed to sign Ulysses Chassin to a minor league deal, so he fits right into that battle for the number four and number five spots probably temporarily because Michael Pineda and Rich Hill, uh, we would assume, would uh, assume those spots um, at some point during the season. But um, you just the, the first, the question about Chassin and, and the Twins rotation itself, uh, do you see anybody here in that mix that's worth targeting, even with the likelihood that that job may only be theirs for you know a month or two? Yeah, I actually kind of like Lewis Thorpe the most uh, of all these guys. It's been a long time coming. He's a prospect who signed uh, as part of a July 2 international class, I think about a decade ago now, uh, out of Australia. Uh, had a couple injuries along the way. So he was going to be a long-term development prospect for the Twins anyway, and the injuries uh, made that worse. What we saw from Lewis Thorpe last year in Minnesota wasn't really impressive at all. It was a 618 ERA, a 173 whip. Uh, but 31 strikeouts and 27 and two-thirds. And I think more importantly, he was a guy that kind of held his own at AAA last year. And as we know, the AAA leagues were using the more lively Major League Baseball. So 119 Ks in 96 and a third innings with AAA Rochester. He doesn't walk a ton of guys. He's got a couple of interesting secondary pitches. Doesn't really light up the radar gun. 
But especially when you compare him to guys uh, like Dobnik and Smelter, who are also even like softer tossers, mm-hmm. I think Thorpe probably has the best stuff of these candidates vying for the spots to temporarily at least fill in to that Twins rotation. All right. Well, I do want to circle back to Shasin for a minute here because on every show, we're, we're going to try to on every show, spend at least a little bit of time talking about something that's strategic. Uh, and to me, Shasin represents a type of player that's hard to hard to value when you're coming up on draft day because he established some consistency. And in particular, in 2017 and 2018, even though he wasn't missing a ton of bats, he was, he was effective. Uh, I think he won 15 games in 2018, if my memory is serving correctly. Uh, so you know, he had some value, had a much worse season in 2019, didn't seem to have the same command. Not necessarily in regard to Shasin in particular, but just as a general rule, how do you deal with players who have a big one-year drop-off like that? I do look at the track record, and in Shasin's case, it's not you know three, four, five years of success prior to that drop-off, so I'm a little bit more cautious when it comes to buying back in. Uh, but I think you have to look at the circumstances. There is a clear opportunity for him to win the fifth starter job, and I think Minnesota has become one of those organizations that we really want to trust in terms of how they evaluate and how they utilize pitchers. They had a lot of success last year with Wes Johnson at the helm. Uh, They had guys like Jake Odorizzi locating fastballs up in the zone more consistently. Basically, they're building game plans that work for guys who have flaws. That being said, I think I'm more interested in someone like Homer Bailey in Minnesota, who I think has slightly better stuff at this stage of his career than Chassin does. With Yolis Chassin, a lot of his success with the Brewers came from the increased use of his slider, and he didn't really have anything else working. His low-velocity fastball was just smashed anytime it was near the zone. None of their secondary pitches were consistent whatsoever. So unless the Twins are able to find a good third pitch that can basically enable him to lean even less on his fastball, and he becomes this guy that throws like 60% breaking balls between uh, his slider and his curveball or something along those lines. I just don't see a path for him to be a really successful big league pitcher again, even though he signed with an organization that I generally trust. Yeah, well, I like the fact that you bring in the organizational element because uh, for me, sometimes it could be tempting to say, well, this person is just one year removed from such and such a level of value. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of variables there in terms of well, was was there a health reason was there a mechanical reason or you know could there be an organizational factor there that either helps or hinders that that player to be a comeback player uh, in the season so i appreciate that you highlighted that and um one more thing before we do wrap up uh, our first 15 minute show here uh do check out uh all the great work that you can find on the athletic both in the fantasy uh site and as well as the uh, MLB site. And there's a great piece there from Jason Stark and your podcast uh, co-host, Eno Saris. Uh, Does electronic sign stealing work? The Astros numbers are eye-popping. Great piece where they really break it down uh, in a bunch of different ways. And uh, it's a more complicated question than I certainly thought before I I read the piece. So uh, on that note, uh, DVR, going to put a bow on this one. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Fantasy Baseball in 15. If you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get 40% off of a subscription at theathletic.com slash baseball in 15. And everything that we do is included with the subscription. And if you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and a review, we would greatly appreciate if you took the time to do just that. So for Derek Van Riper, I'm Al Melker, and we will be back with more Fantasy Baseball in 15. 